Boom, put boom, 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 well, hello, Adam. How's it going? Hello, it is going well. I, you know, we we do this whole thing where we talk before we record and we record. And sometimes I have something I was about to say before we hit record. But mm-hmm. I'm gonna say it this way: like, I think that one of the most basic human desires is to know that when somebody says you passed, the other person says, "Oh, damn." Hmm. And you just mentioned right before we started recording, someone had passed. And I was like, damn. But then I went, I cannot name like one thing that I remember of their experience, but I know their name. I know that they were impactful in in so many ways in media. And I was like, damn, that's actually what I want. Like, I don't want anybody to be like, oh, I love this moment of that podcast. Or he was so good in that reboot of Three Kings where he played like a smaller, sort of fatter Spike Jones, <laughs> which I mean, is still an option if we want to do that. <laughs> but I think anybody just wants to be able, like once when someone hears about your demise, they want to be like, oh, man. So I have a, I have a new goal. Okay. I want to make one person and, and I'm going to, I'm going to phrase it this way. It has to be an audible because you could also say this in a good way. Uh, when I pass, I want somebody to be like, oh, damn. Not, oh, damn. I was going to kill that guy. I-, I would say, oh, damn. Well, yeah, I know. You, but like, this has to be outside of like the, the circle of trust. Okay, okay, okay. I want some random ass person that barely knows my name to hear I pass and be like, oh, damn. Huh? And that might actually be my tombstone at this point. Oh, damn. Oh, damn. Here, 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 here lies Adam Weinberg. Oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> because, I mean, that's the end of that. Because then somebody like walks up to my grave and just accidentally read it. And I'm like, I win! <laughs> um, so Raquel Welch, her big film was uh, One Year's BC where she was in the, like, loincloth? Yeah, I mean, I mean she was absolutely gorgeous and i as a younger person who did not watch that film i've only seen pictures of her on the internet which probably speaks to my lack of class that i've seen just random pictures of people on the internet but she was always known to me as someone who was held up as a very stereotypical hollywood beauty Mm mm-hmm which we, we all know that like it's not fair to hold people to one beauty standard because everyone's beautiful in different ways. And we have learned that in very different ways. But like this was old school Hollywood and she was held up as sort of this archetype of mm-hmm. primal beauty in a way. And she was still really hot, even though she got old. Which I think just points out that like beauty is not youth. It is more about like just your intrinsic personality, mm-hmm. because I I don't know. Have you seen the the new uh, trailers for the next Shazam? I have not, but I want to because the first one was really good. Yeah, I really I really enjoyed it, 
but one of the the villains theoretically and I don't know how I could ever see her and think she was remotely a villain uh, is Helen Mirren mm. and mm-hmm. Helen Mirren just like uh, Judy Dench and Maggie Smith like there is there is a intrinsic grace and power that they hold no matter what age they are mm-hmm. and I'm just gonna say she looks she looks really good in the trailer I have to check it out I know she's in the trailer she's pe- for, uh, uh, not Helen Mirren Judy Dench because you mentioned her is in the trailer for Fast Five or is it no it oh, is. she's yeah it is Helen Mirren so is it a, like her, Helen Mirren is she in, she, she in Fast Five too Fast 10, excuse me. I don't know why I said Fast 5, Fast 10, yeah. I just love that Helen Mirren is just deciding that she's like, you know what? I have won all of the accolades the stage can give me. I have, I have been applauded for theatrical and I'm just going to get all the monies. Go to right. all of the blockbuster movies, put me in them, send me my check. I will make it better. It will be awesome. But I'm just going for it now. That that's yeah, She's like, you know what? I'm just loving life, living life, doing what I want. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But that being said, like beauty is something that I think is far more than skin skin deep. It is intrinsic. It is a aura that you possess, uh, and it never really fades. And that never faded with Raquel Welch as well. Um, what has happened this week? Oh, sad news. Um, Megan and MGK are going through problems. I'm just kidding. Nobody really cares. Um, <laughs> I was like, why am I sad about that? <laughs> Megan. Like, Fox. I remember you you and I went to the premiere. We brought, we like talked about it. We, we gave away tickets to the premiere of Transformers. We sat next to each other watching the, the movie. Mm-hmm. And I was absolutely in love with Megan Fox. So are you upset that so, MGK are having issues? I'm just disappointed that she's been failed by yet another man. <laughs> Um, and at some point she's gonna be like like what if i just tried like slightly bald and punchy <laughs> maybe that'll work this time shut up i mean <laughs> oh my gosh oh i did start a fun new show and fun and by fun i mean fun because i'm just kind of laughing at the characters it's a perfect match on netflix and it's basically all their I guess you not really rejects because like Joey who's on there one season one of the circle but it's just people from previous shows like the circle the mole love is blind yeah so so they're doing the same thing that like NBC did after they had like 20 years of the survivor it was like survivor all-stars and then mm-hmm. after MVT had like so MTV had all the you know real world it's like real world and road world all-stars because they realized that like they've kind of worn it out completely so they have to just use other people that have already some cachet and some audience following yeah but it's funny because like one of the conversations between one of the guys and and one of the girls is well you know after doing this show you know uh excuse me i feel fine i just have a cough that i can't get rid of and have had for like 12 years now but um anyway (laughs) <laughs> I'm sorry, 12 years? 
yeah so you've had a cough since i left yeah basically (laughs) it feels like it it feels like it um but one of the guys was like you know after being the show you know you're like b-list or a-list or whatever and i'm like b-list or a-list dude try d or e like i was like i don't even know if you're the top half of the alphabet you're you were on too hot to handle get out of here come on now um but it was just funny that he was saying you know it's just really kind of hard to find women to relate to when you're like b-list or a-list or whatever and i was like you and brad pitt not on the same level but okay good try good try so but also i feel like this gentleman would have a hard time finding women to relate to period uh yeah that's that's kind of why he's on a show about dating Uh yeah (laughs) exactly trying to find his perfect match sure you are buddy you just were missing that reality tv show limelight and you were like yeah that, that, that was the only thing that like stopped me from finding a perfect match uh, it's like would you like to just like eat waffles and watch tv no like we gotta be on tv first <laughs> oh but so that's been my entertainment um ashton kutcher and reese witherspoon have a new movie your place or mine it, typical romance. yeah it's cute um Ashton Kutcher looks really good. I will say that, like he worked out or something. I when he when is he never like when is he not looking? Well, there's that. I also forget how tall he is, and well, also she's very little. She's very little. So the two of them next to each other is quite the difference. I mean, he's always been like the tall, lanky, just sort of like he's probably athletic but doesn't want to try sports guy, and like very annoying. <laughs> I mean, I like it, and in in fact, he he was also in a, in a thing that I saw this this week that I really wanted to talk about. So, like, I don't know, this is natural segue, but well, there you go, because it's your you're up first. Well, no, what else do you watch? I didn't want to like steal it. Um, um, what else did I watch? Uh, oh, The Last of Us. Oh my gosh, it's so good. Yeah, it's, it's really so good. good. Oh, and I think you might enjoy this one because you're a big Apple tv plus person you know ted lasso's coming back next month um, i do i do i'm very excited um but i started watching it's called shrinking i've been meaning to tell you this and i've been forgetting it's uh, called shrinking on apple tv plus it stars jason siegel and it's got mm-hmm. harrison ford in it yes and i am i have not given it a shot yet i i don't know what to think I like I and this is this is entirely a me thing. Absolutely a me thing, not a media thing, not a storyline thing, just like a personal I have not had historically good experiences with psychotherapists. To the point where I do not wish to encounter them in my fantasy or fictional life. However, I do like both of these individuals as actors. But I think and I feel like not like it's not your typical psychotherapist. He's not like it's he, it's that's why this show is good because he, he is going against everything you're supposed to do and acknowledging that like he know, he's like, I know I'm not supposed to do this with a client, but he does it anyway. Like, for instance, like so. Does it have a bit of a what about Bob feel to it? Because that's the vibe I got from the, the previews. I never saw what about Bob, so I can't say. But like, oh, so what about Bob was about a, a psychotherapist who had this very involved client that started showing up at his house. Yes, 
but it's also his fault and it's hilarious. That's what we learned from What About Bob as well. So like, and this isn't giving giving anything away, but like he ends up in a location where a client's ex is and gets punched in the face. I mean, <laughs> who hasn't? <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely not like <clears throat> it's and it's because of like things going on in his personal life that he's just like, look, I've got to find a different approach to things. He like completely ignores training and ethics and just goes on doing things his way. And uh, it's got, um, like I said, it's got Harrison Ford in it, who is typical Harrison grumpy Ford, but to watch Harrison Ford singing, pretty good. Pretty cool. Oh, I would, yeah, that, that you got me there. I would like to see that. Ted McGinley is in it. Krista Miller. Krista Miller is like she's always the same character, but she's always hilarious. You probably remember Krista Miller from like um, she was in Cougar Town, um, and she was funny in Cougar Town. Mm. She was also in Scrubs. Yep. Drew Carey show. So uh, things like that. But that's what I got for you. Uh, so. As I mentioned, we were, I almost segued without letting you talk about shrinking. Uh, but I I watched this movie that I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. And I kind of also hated. Oh. And it took me two different watchings to get through it. Because I assumed it was going to be one type of thing. And this is not even the A side. This is just going to be elongated introduction because i'm not doing a whole i'm not doing a whole a side on this on this thing right now but you mentioned aston kusher and he was in this movie as well and it it featured and was written and directed by someone who my ego tells me if if i had grown up in a different scenario we could have swept switched lives i know that's not true but i have a lot of like mental kinship with this person and seemingly like i think that they what they find is funny i would find i find funny as well and i like how they poke fun at themselves mm-hmm. but it is a movie called vengeance it is available on amazon prime i believe and it is written by bj novak and bj novak is one of these people who has kind of been involved in so much stuff but also and this is where the comparison would fail because I would have never been able to do what he's done where he's been involved in all of these very successful shows mm-hmm. as a writer and a creator and more often than not makes himself the butt of the jokes. Right. But not mm-hmm. enough self-deprecating like Steve Carell way, but in sort of like he writes characters and inhabits characters that are eminently unlike. So BJ Novak was Ryan from The Office. From The Office, yeah. And Ryan was written as a incredibly unlikable character. He was the basest of base males and his whole like character arc was there was really nothing to it. Mm-hmm. And so this Kelly movie Kapoor comes or couldn't get and, enough. Yeah, exactly. She she loved and in a weird way, this movie Vengeance is advertised as sort of not 
a direct correlation, but the character that B.J. Novak plays in this in this movie is the same kind of character that he plays in the office. And I think that is where he's realized that he kind of created this niche for himself mm-hmm. and he's always going to be viewed because of the success of the office. He will always be viewed that way. So in a kind of brilliant way, he plays that character. He writes the story where he's this guy who is not very like he is a writer in New York City who is in the hookup culture and just like doesn't have any actual existing relationships and in a weird also cell phone in the first 15 minutes of the film his best friend is John Mayer who has also been accused of being <laughs> the same sort of stock character right so I kind of I kind of feel like John Mayer was like yeah I'm gonna poke fun at myself as well uh and so you think it's gonna be this wholesome having to go to West Texas for a funeral of somebody who he hooked up with who thought that like it was a bigger deal than he thought it was told everyone they were boyfriend girlfriend and so he's got to go there and he, then he tries to make a podcast out about her death mm-hmm. and the entire like previews make it seem like it's sort of like a you know fish out of water scenario it's like guy from New York comes to West Texas look at the hilarity of the series. and in reality it is a much more painful and aggressive look at how we perceive people and how we perceive ourselves. It is a, it goes from being a movie that you think is going to be just like funny and silly mm-hmm. to being a movie that like hurts. Hmm. It, and every, and everyone in the film, and this is like, it has that, like late 90s, early 2000s independent film vibe where like they're just, there's no good guys, there's no bad guys. Everybody's got shades of gray and everyone's having a bad time, but we're all doing it for a reason. And uh, Ashton Kutcher plays sort of this like caricature of like the music producer that's trying to help people, but also would be kind of taking advantage of them so kind of Elvis's main producer, like I'm trying to remember his name, Captain Kangaroo or something. Uh, it's not that. Or yeah, something like that. Like, yeah. you know, Colonel something. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and the movie is so much more than I expected. And like I said, after about, I, I literally, it's not that long a movie. I had to break it in two because it hit me so hard. I gotta take a break and then it hit me even worse than a second and I I was very impressed and pleased and also angry all at the same time because it feels like in this era of you know blockbuster movies that we've had for the last 30 years and, and very niche independent films like you know what you're gonna get like, if you go to a Marvel movie, you know what you're going to get. You go to a movie that's been nominated for an Academy Award, it's probably going to be, like, deep and dark and, like, make you question yourself. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot in between. And it was nice to be surprised and upended by a film. So, this is not the A-side, but check out Vengeance if you can, because it is a lot more than you expect from the movie. 
That was actually an entire mini A side. That was a mini A side, but that's fine. I remember actually <laughs> the previews for that. Well, and like all, like it's one of those movies where all the jokes for the movie mm-hmm. of the entire movie are contained within the previews. So you think like, oh, this is going to be hilarious. And you're like, no, no, no. Those jokes are spaced out by 25 minutes. Oh, okay. So you're not going to get nearly as many laughs as you think. Uh, But by the end, it was a very, I was, I was pleased I watched it. I have since watched it in full again uh, because I wanted to make sure that like I didn't, my watching it in two, two spaces didn't make me think more of it than it was and it held it held up it's hard to watch it is not the comedy that it claims to be in the preview but it is definitely worth watching okay all right and it's called vengeance <laughs> vengeance yes and, that and if you follow Adam's me on the, mini a side <laughs> that was a mini mini a side because <laughs> evidently i was like tonight tonight we're gonna be going for a long episode <laughs> Real quick before you do jump into your A side, um, I watched this Nick Cage movie and it was it was so bad. But it's like I guess you expect that with Nick Cage, but it was like still like oof. Like bad. recent or old um, school? I uh... think it's from I think it's from the mid two thousands. It's called Humanity Bureau. Humanity Bureau? And it's like a post apocalyptic post apocalyptic uh film where okay uh when you said when you said the mid what when did you think 2017 i just looked it up it's 2017 i was gonna say like you said mid 2000 yeah i was thinking mid 2000s oh it's not post-apocalyptic it's a dystopian thriller set in the year 2030 and i remember when they popped up 2030 on the screen i was like that's like seven years from now like it's not that far yeah and it's not well, like I, like they made like, it that long ago. Like post-apocalyptic and like that that those terms are interchangeable. I, think. I you know what I'm gonna say yes I agree with you, one hundred percent. I mean, that, that's where I'm at. I, I just watched... love that Nick Cage. Just like I think if I was so Nick Cage, I don't think he ever turns on the script. No, unless it's for like scheduling. But like, if if he has an opening in his schedule, he will go. He's the guy that goes to every dinner party he's invited to. He's he's just, it's just, it was it was like, I mean, kind of predictable. But at the same time, I was like, okay, did I see that coming? Yeah, I totally did see that coming. Um, uh, is it? I love how no one else in this movie has ever been in anything. Like he's the just only, doing independent films. The only other one is Hugh Dillon. He was on a show that was really popular. Um, it was a police drama. It was called uh, Oh, he was in Yellowstone. Mary Kingston. No, it was but but he's like he's been like a like a, a minor character in a bunch of stuff. Yeah, but there was a, a flashpoint, flashpoint. He was kind of like a, a good supporting uh character in Flashpoint. Um, it was a show, a police drama based in Toronto, and it had, um, oh gosh, he was in the space. Why am I drawing blank so much right now? He That's is, okay. Just give me like so space Canadian. It had a uh, 
Oh my the God. guy from the thing. What did they do? You know that it had Tim Allen, the space movie with um. Oh, Galaxy Quest. Galaxy Quest. Yes, it was. The- Seriously, I got that off of one day. Enrico Calatoni. Calatoni. Yes. It had Enrico Calatoni in this, and he was in uh, Galaxy Quest as the alien. Um, but anyway, so Enrico. We have reviewed your historical documents. Yes. He was like the lead in this, and then Keith Flynn was his supporting character. So in basically in Humanity Bureau, besides Nick Cage, I think that's the only person that's ever done anything else. I'm not I don't recall seeing anybody else in in anything. I mean, and that's the that's the brilliance of the most recent movie with him and Pablo Vascal, the incredible weight of uh, celebrity or something mm-hmm. because it totally checks out that some rich guy could claim that he's filming a movie and hire Nicolas Cage and he would just show up. He would. Because the man just loves to work. Yeah. Yeah. Like anyway. he's probably keeping the unemployment rate down himself. <laughs> just by just keeping doing movies and other people get hired and everyone's, everyone's working. <laughs> Thanks to Nicholas Cage. Thanks, Nick Cage. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, Nick. Like I want to, the next day of the union. I want Joe Biden to be like, "Thank you, Nicholas Coppola." <laughs> like Joe, you're not supposed to say his real name, <laughs> right? Right, because you know he would. Nicholas Coppola, thank you. And everybody would be like, "Who? Nick Cage? Who? Nick Cage?" <laughs> I love how the guy who didn't want to get hired because of his name just takes any movie given. <laughs> Uh, days. All right. So we need to uh, jump into this. So you are first this week. So now that we have actually moved on to the actual ASI, even though I just totally bogarted our entire intro and made it a mini ASI, because (laughs) I didn't think I had enough to talk about an entire ASI. I also want people to watch that movie. Watch that movie. And let me know what you think. And then maybe we could do like a audience says reaction to vengeance bj novak is he the you know multiverse version of adam on another world where he just decided to go to a better school maybe not uh however the movie that i did want to talk about today um is a lot harder to watch you have to rent it so i'm back to this again uh it is one that is on my personal dvd shelf but it is not very accessible Otherwise, you can rent it for $2.99 on Amazon, Google Play, YouTube, Microsoft, Redbox. Uh, you want to pay like a little bit more just because you like Apple, you can buy it for $3.99. This movie from 1995 that I first heard about when I, or read about when I was reading Entertainment Weekly. And in the mid-90s, there were three things that I read the most. Entertainment Weekly, every day, every week that it showed up on our doorstep, I would read it cover to cover. I would run to the mailbox, grab it before my parents could get it. I would read it cover to cover, and then maybe, if my parents were lucky, I would let them read it after that. <laughs> uh, my dad was able to write off the, the subscription to Entertainment Weekly because of his mass media course. So mm-hmm. I didn't even feel bad about stealing it from him because it was just a write-off. Uh, the second thing I read the most was Timothy Zahn's books about Star Wars. And the third was the Bible. Oh. 
And of those things, the things What's that I probably put, well, I mean, it was I was a private school kid and I was required to. Oh, and okay. also, book it was a thing. And for some reason, our school gave book it stars for reading the Bible. And I could be like, I read three books. They were like, which ones? I was like, a bunch of prophets. They were like 10 pages each. They were like, okay, here's three stars. And I'm like, brilliant. I would get all of the pan pizzas. But <laughs> the Entertainment Weekly was probably my favorite thing to read. And it was my favorite thing, not even probably. And I was so excited about this movie that was foreshadowed by being the movie with the longest title ever. And because the title was so long, people were concerned. And this is back mid-90s. This is pre-streaming, pre-Netflix. People went to movies at a theater. And the theater had those giant signs where you had to put the letters up. And at one point, people were concerned that this movie would not do well because most movie theaters didn't have enough letters to put the entire title on, oh. on the marquee. So the movie is from 1995. The Englishman Who Went Up a Hill But Came Down a Mountain. Dang, that is a long title. It's a long title. Uh, at that time, in the mid-90s, it was the longest title for a movie. It has now been surpassed by a ton of like straight-to-video movies that have all decided they want to be the longest title. Because... They understand that they'll give them a little bit more like press because all oh, is the longest title up. So now you've got like movies that are an entire parody. But in a weird way, this movie is exactly what it claims to be, which was entirely weird for the 90s. Hugh Grant, who in my American brain was kind of the stand in for the British monarchy for the 90s. Because they were like, hey, we don't really want to talk about Prince Charles. There's some stuff going on with Diana. Uh, so let's just put Hugh Grant out there. He's affable. He's not too prideful. He's always kind of stumbling over his words. He's charming. He's got great hair. So let's just pretend that he is the British representation to all of the world for the 1990s. Mm -hmm. And this movie is actually based on a true story. It is a small town, a uh, small Welsh town that got their entire sort of personality over the fact that they were right next to a mountain. And in the middle of World War I, in 1917, in the most British way possible, these two surveyors show up to make sure that it's actually a mountain. I don't know why in the middle of a war, the British government was sending people to measure things, but... In a weird way, it feels very, very British. Mm -hmm. So they show up, they measure the mountain, they find out that it is not high enough to be a mountain. It's actually just a hill. Now this sets into events the entire Welsh town doing everything they can to delay the guys leaving so they can't report it's just a hill and not a mountain. And to also add enough feet to the hill to make it a mountain. <laughs> Cole Meany, who is, uh, you know, the Star Trek gentleman who was Chief O'Brien on Star Trek, then went on to Deep Space Nine, and who I have always loved seeing in other things because he has spent so long just playing different characters that were not Chief O'Brien in every other film. It's almost like Europe didn't know he was in Star Trek. 
during the 90s and the early 2000s. They were like, oh, yeah, this guy, he's a badass. Uh, he plays somebody named uh, Henry the Goat, who is sort of the town ne'er-do-well who keeps uh, the, well, I'm sorry, Morgan the Goat, Morgan the Goat, uh, who keeps the surveyors in town. Uh, you've got a love interest because it's a Hugh Grant movie from the 1990s, so why wouldn't there be a love interest? I don't have a love interest. And it, it is a really beautiful, fun little story about a town that has defined itself by its landmark. But really, what defines it is how the town comes together to defend its landmark. And not to, to go to a spoiler alert level, it's not a long movie. It's, I think, maybe uh, an hour and a half, so 91 minutes. Uh, it's, it's an easy watch. It's fun. It's charming. But in a time when, and this is kind of where I got to the point of thinking about this movie this week. There has been, for lack of a better term, so much shit with communities and people not being together and fights and shootings and just even look at our government where people can't even agree on anything. They'll, they'll heckle speeches for fun. The thought that kept coming to my mind was it takes a village. And, and that feels antiquated and out of touch with Right now, nobody wants to support anybody else. Nobody wants to have a community with somebody that might not have the exact same ideas as them. And that's where my brain was at. I was looking at what I want to talk about this week. And I was like, here's a, here's a story about a town where every single person in that town comes together for the common good of defending the name of their town and their history and their location. And even the supposed outsiders, the people that were supposed to be there to judge them, by the end, you know, Hugh Grant's character is is helping. He falls in love. I don't think he leaves the town. He stays. It was a moment where I wanted to watch a show about people coming together mm-hmm. instead of constantly <clears throat> fighting mm-hmm. and finding something that they could all fight for. And you'll see the, the posters and the posters because it's the mid-90s and it's right after Four Weddings and a Funeral. The posters make this movie look like it is a like a, a romance, a comedy. And the romance thing, it's in there, but it is not. It's about a community coming together. The Even the, you know, Morgan the Goat, who's a ne'er-do-well, and the priest working together to save what the community believes is true. And that's that this is actually a mountain. And not a hill. And it is absolutely worth worth watching. It's fun. It's charming. More than anything, it's just for me, and I I I think for many people, a absolutely needed refresher that people can work together. And even if we don't like each other, there are things that are more important than our dislikes and our frustrations and our petty disagreements and for me a movie that encapsulates that perfectly is a random ass British rom-com called The Englishman Who Went Up a Hill But Came Down a Mountain 
available to watch on Pluto TV with ads, and you can rent it just about anywhere else. But if you are sitting there thinking, it's really frustrating that nobody can work together, and I would like to see something that uplifts me and reminds me that that's possible, The Englishman Who Went Up a Hill but with Dynamo is definitely the movie for you. Okay. All right. You know, where has Hugh Grant been? Well, he's been like a bad guy in a couple of things recently. I think like Hugh Grant's just loving being like in his late 50s and rich. Yeah. I mean, I'm just saying, I, mean, I, would, I would be like, I think he showed up a couple times as like the bad guy, like you said, the bad guy stuff. But like, I also think he realizes that like his sort of guffaw charmingness is not going to work in a younger generation like it worked in the 90s and early 2000s. Right, right. Uh, he was, of course, married to Elizabeth Hurley for 13 years. Uh, also, just to piggyback off our previous conversation about Hel- Helen Mirren, uh, did you know she was married to Liam Neeson for five years? I think I did know that, yes. From like 1980 to 1985. Yeah, it was before so like, his wife like, that died, yeah. Four-year-old me was like, oh, she's single? <laughs> she might be, but not for you. Not for, I mean, that would that'd be... <laughs> All right. <laughs> is that the A side? That is the A side. Did I just make you like choke on your laugh? <laughs> yeah. That is that is the that is the podcast equivalent of a spit take. I love it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. <clears throat> so now I have to <clears throat> get my giggles out. <clears throat> get the giggles out because I'm guessing it, this part is not going to be fun. No, we're definitely definitely switching gears on this one. This week we are uh, talking about an American serial killer who um was quite twisted not that they aren't all but i feel like there's levels to this twisted you know you got your you got your real twisted serial killer and then you got your real twisted serial killer and i think he's kind of in in between that so it was between real and real yeah real and real you gotta have that inflection <laughs> i can't do that with my voice i can't i can't roll my eyes <laughs> I didn't roll an R. That was just like a voice breath thing. (laughs) Come on. You were an actor. Yeah. Uh, Was? R. Well, you haven't. Okay. In the fact that you haven't been out for something in a while, but you are still actively pursuing acting. How about that? Fair. Okay. Once an actor, always an actor. There you go. All right. (laughs) As my ex would say. <laughs> All right. This week we are talking about Richard Chase. Richard Chase was born May 23rd of 1950 in Sacramento, where he was born and raised. And by the age of five, he exhibited evidence of all three parts of the McDonald triad, which we have talked about previously. That is the three mm. um early signs or predictors of a possible serial killer you've got arson cruelty cruelty to animals and bedwetting yeah as a child he was known to set fires he was a bedwetter and he tortured animals when he got a bit older he began drinking and using uh, drugs mostly marijuana and lsd one of these things is not like the other (laughs) 
So because of the drug use and the alcohol abuse, he developed hypochondria as he got older. He often complained that his heart would occasionally stop beating or that someone had stolen a pulmonary artery, which, um, you know, as a logical thinking person, you realize I still wouldn't be alive if this was the case. But we're not I don't think he spent a lot of time here. Like, you know, we're, we're not talking about a logical person here. Yeah. He would also hold oranges over his head, like on the top of his head, thinking that the vitamin C would somehow... I guess osmosis is that what you would call it? I was gonna say so, like so, like the one class he attended for science was the osmosis class. He would, yeah, he thought that the vitamin C would leave the orange and somehow be absorbed into his head and through his skull and into his brain. I mean, I will, I will not say that it was me, but I do know certain inebriated people in college who slept on their textbooks, hoping something would happen. <laughs> And much like a baby, you know, babies have that soft spot that um, <laughs> when they're born, you know, because the, the, the skull has a fused, he believed that his cranial bones had become separated and were moving around. So he had eventually shaved his head because he wanted to watch it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So... <laughs> In 19 Neither of us can breathe right now. I know, yeah. In 1973, Richard Chase spent a brief time in a, a psychiatric hospital. I think he was released. And then in 1976, he was involuntarily committed to an institution when he was taken to the hospital for blood poisoning after he had injected rabbit's blood into his veins. The staff at the hospital nicknamed him dracula which will play into his nickname the vampire of sacramento um they which means they didn't ever actually read the book because dracula never uses a syringe well this is why they called him dracula he had a blood fixation and he was often found blood smeared on his face he claimed it was from shaving but they the they found birds with their necks broken that he had caught through the window and their blood had been drained because he drank it. Okay, just just to recap, maybe don't let him shave anymore. Um how about also maybe board his windows, maybe not just and also board. what dude is catching birds through his window? Mm -hmm. How, how, how much planning goes into catching birds? Because but also like the, the reflexes, birds are quick as hell. That's what I'm saying. They're fast. So how are you? Yeah. I don't even want to know. He also would steal. Maybe he was Dracula. because Dracula did have superhuman reflexes. Yeah. I'm going to say no on that. Um, he also steals syringes and extract blood from the therapy dogs in the institution. He was diagnosed with uh, paranoid schizophrenia. And after his diagnosis, he underwent a a bunch of treatments and he was put on psychotropic drugs and once he was put on medication they were like all right he's fine he's no longer going to be a threat to society and he was released to his mother's care in 1976 that feels like a jump well eventually his mom she puts him out <laughs> i guess i guess she's like i uh, i'm over there 
Um, she actually, he actually believed that his mom was poisoning him. And of course they're not getting along because he's like, you're poisoning me. And she's like, I'm not. And he's like, you are, you got, you got to go. So he- I mean, would anyone blame her though? <laughs> no. So he ends up renting an apartment with some of his friends, but then his friends start to complain because he's constantly- under the influence of dr uh, drugs like marijuana and LSD and alcohol, he would walk around the apartment in nothing, like full birthday suit, even when they had company. It's like, Richard, man, we got we got gas. He's like, yeah. So, That's why I'm putting on a show. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> he's like, this natural man? No. Um, so his roommates were like, you gotta go. And he's he's like, no, I'm not going anywhere. So all of his roommates decided to leave him. They ditched him. They, they're like, you don't go, we're gonna go. So when he was in the apartment alone, he began to capture, kill, and disembowel different animals. He would then, trigger warning, graphic warning, it's gross. It's nasty. I'm just, it's nasty. Here's plugged. So he would then devour their raw organs. Sometimes he would take the organs and add some Coca-Cola and put them in a blender and then drink it. He believed that this organ Coke smoothie um, was actually stopping his heart from shrinking. I mean... Knowing what I know about Coca-Cola and caffeine is probably the opposite. Sure. The exact opposite, right. It's actually been said that he started digesting blood from animals as early as middle school after learning that erections were due to blood flow. So he began consuming blood, thinking it would help him get erections because he was plagued with... Um, why did I just lose the word? A failure to launch? Yeah, failure to... The, the ship would not sail. Yeah. What is that? No, nothing's leaving the harbor. <laughs> Why can't I think of the word? Because you just want me to come up with more metaphors for it? <laughs> what? The wind's too strong for the flag to go up. <laughs> the, the pill. You got the blue pill. What is it? Oh, erectile uh, dysfunction. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Do you know why the uh, chameleon couldn't change colors? Why? He had reptile dysfunction. Oh, my gosh. No. Stop it. Stop it. We can cut that one out. Uh, um, okay. So <laughs> he's released. He's on his own. Time has passed. And he's devouring animals. He's mixing them with coke. He's making Coca Cola, not not like cocaine bear. Coca Cola. No. Coca Cola. Yeah, he's mixing them with the pop. And um, well, I guess it just wasn't strong enough for him anymore. So he has to move on to bigger animals, humans. On December twenty ninth, I feel like at some point he realized that perhaps this is this is not the. The thing that's making the flag stiff in the wind. So I got to get something else. I got to get something stronger. Yeah. On December 29th. I'm hmm? just saying like. Do you think his natural next step was like Yeti? Uh, 
after people i you know what i don't uh, good luck with that one um so on december 29th of 1977 <laughs> i'm ignoring you chase Gilles, i know his first known victim in a drive-by shooting was ambrose griffin a father of two and he was a 51 year old engineer oh senseless uh, all of it is senseless two weeks later he attempted to enter someone's house but their doors were locked he tried to get into the house of this woman but her doors were locked and he just walks off he ends up later admitting to this and he said well the doors were locked so i took it as a sign that i wasn't welcome i guess like a vampire if the door is open and you say come in I'm welcome but the doors were locked so that's saying i'm not welcome also like if the door's locked you're not welcome yeah so that's what he said he said if the doors i took it as a sign if the doors were locked that i was not welcome but if the doors were unlocked that was an invitation to come inside on one occasion he was actually caught and chased off by a couple that returned home just as he was going through their belongings he had also urinated and um defecated on their baby's bed and their baby's clothing. their what their baby's bed and clothing oh clothing okay the baby was not there no the baby was with okay the good, good good on january 23rd my birthday of 1978 chase broke into a into the house of donald and Teresa wallen Teresa was home by herself because uh, i said Donald, I'm sorry, David, David and Teresa Wallen. Teresa was home. David was not. He shot 22-year-old Teresa, who happened to be three months pregnant at the time. He shot her three hmm. times. And then he, um, well, he's a necrophiliac, so we know what he did. And he stabbed her uh, corpse with a butcher's knife. He then removed multiple organs and cut off parts of her breast, and he drank her milk out of a yogurt cup like he drained her blood and put it in a yogurt cup so he could drink it <clears throat> he then had uh, actually disemboweled a dog like a neighbor's dog and he put the dog parts in her throat okay so after this crime the FBI develops a profile for their suspect of the crimes that they have now been um, investigating. And we'll come to find that it does match Richard uh, Chase perfectly. They put out the, the, they put out the profile and they ask for help in his capture. In the meantime, four days later on January 27th, Richard Chase goes to the home of 38-year-old Evelyn Maroth. First, he finds her friend, Danny Meredith, he shoots Danny with a 22 handgun. He then shoots Evelyn, her six-year-old son, Jason, and her 22-month-old nephew, David Ferreira, before doing what he does. He messes with her corp. He's a necrophiliac, and he eats her body. He's in the midst of all this when someone came over to visit Evelyn and knocks on the door completely startles Richard Chase, who gets in Meredith's car with the body of her 22-month-old nephew and flees. The neighbor sees this, excuse me, the, vi the visitor, whoever was coming to visit, sees this and goes and alerts a neighbor who calls the police. 
<clears throat> once they get inside, um, they discover that Richard Chase had left complete hand and shoe prints in Evelyn's blood. Also, Michael's playpen was covered in blood. So a massive lead. So he's on the run, right? He's, he's escaped, mm -hmm. body with him. And the police are looking for him. A massive lead comes from a woman in her 20s who said that she had just run into a guy she'd gone to high school with. She said he approached her car. He had his eyes were sunken. He was really thin. He had blood stains on his shirt. And she's like, oh, yeah, his name is Richard Trenton Chase. So police found that he lived within a mile of almost all the murder sites. The investigation continues and Richard Chase is actually stopped and arrested on a reservation in Lake Tahoe, the Pyramid Lake area of Nevada, Nevada. And they find him, he's naked and his body is smeared with blood and there's a bucket of blood found in his trunk. The blood was not human. It was determined to be cow's blood, no charges filed. So after his arrest, police search his apartment and they find that the walls, the floor, the ceiling, the refrigerator, pretty much everything is like just soaked in blood. They also located a gun that linked all of the murders. They find a 12 inch butcher knife, rubber boots, animal collars, three blenders containing blood and inside several dishes in the fridge, there were body parts. There was also a calendar that was in his apartment and on the dates of the murders of Teresa Wallen and Evelyn Marat, it wrote, it said today. A baby's body with Sam's head was found in a box in a vacant lot. It was after testing determined to be the body of little baby David Ferreira, the 22 month old. So in 1979, Richard Trenton Chase is put on trial. He's facing six, six counts of murder. So he wants to avoid the death penalty. So they his defense tries to get him um, second degree murder, which would just be a life sentence. Their case mm. hinged on his history of mental illness. And they suggest that his crimes were not premeditated and that he's just crazy. He's insane. On May 8th of 1979, the jury finds Richard Chase guilty of all six counts of first degree murder. They reject his defense argument that he's not guilty by reason of insanity. And he is sentenced to die in the gas chamber. While in prison, several of his fellow inmates, they know of his extremely violent crimes. They know that he's just a grisly person by nature. They're afraid of him. And apparently, the story is they tried to persuade him to go ahead and just end it himself, to take his own life. Richard Chase actually granted some jailhouse interviews with Robert Ressler. Uh, and during these interviews, he talked about his fear of Nazis and UFOs. Because same, I don't know. I mean, because evidently, like, I, I don't actually fear UFOs that much at this point. I'm just like, please come just take over for a little bit. Make it better. Just make it better. Like, can it get worse? <laughs> he also claimed that although he had killed it wasn't his fault and that he'd been forced to kill to keep himself alive which he said anybody would do he also asked robert Ressler to give him access to a radar gun which he could use to help apprehend the nazi ufos so that the nazis could stand trial for murders 
Yep. But is he saying the UFOs are Nazis? Yes, the Nazi UFOs. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Well, fine. If the, if the UFOs are Nazis, I'm against that. <laughs> he also, <clears throat> for some reason, wanted to uh, give a gift to Robert Ressler and handed him, literally handed him, a large amount of macaroni and cheese that he'd been hiding in his pants. He also believed that prison officials were in league with the Nazis and int- attempting to kill him with poison food. So maybe he was trying to kill Robert Russell instead. It wasn't. Yeah, that's a really weird follow-up to here. Take my go. food. Yeah. On December 26th of 1980, Robert Chase, excuse me, Richard Chase was found dead in his prison cell. And it was revealed that he had actually taken his own life with an overdose of prescribed medication. Or was killed by. Nazi UFOs. Nazi UFOs. Either way, I mean, to be fair, might be the only thing I like about Nazi UFOs. They killed this guy. (laughs) But there you have the story of Richard Trenton Chase, a.k.a. Dracula, a.k.a. the Vampire of Sacramento. Very disturbed. Now you get why I was like, he's kind of in that, you know, it's real or he's like in that metal. Because we've heard worse. We've heard worse. But he yeah. also, this was bad. Yeah. There you go. That's the B-side. Of course, if you've got a movie recommendation, you can hit Adam with that. If you've got a story that you would like to hear, you can hit me with that. Or you can hit Adam because every once in a while we do the swap up and it is really enjoyable on my end. Mm-hmm. Adam has it's, it, it gives you a break. Actually, I think next week we should do a swap because I really want to talk about a certain movie-related true crime that's happened recently in this certainly gone to the court so i think we should do a whole you want to do a switch up i think we should do a switch switch up next week yeah all right let's do a switch up here we go i like it i so, like to do this well, foreshadow <laughs> uh of course if you want to hear about any other times that we have uh switched the a side b side uh you can check out our website it's got all of our episodes on there that is also a place that if you are listening to us on one medium and you would like to subscribe to us on another medium then you go to our website we are on all of the podcast supported mediums on there you can find us there you can also buy merchandise you can uh, buy birthday coffee you can subscribe to our patreon we've been putting some real spicy stuff on the patreon lately if that's not true we will be <laughs> short, shortly probably maybe We'll yes, see. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, make sure you like, comment. Like, I don't think people realize. I think we've gotten past the point where like everyone knew to like and share and comment on Facebook posts like five, ten years ago. And then it got weird. And now nobody really does it anymore. But that actually means that when you like or share something, it has even more power than it did before. Mm-hmm. So if yeah, the algorithm is is thirsty and it needs you to feed it. So feed mm-hmm. the algorithm, like, share. Uh, if you're on, on Spotify or up Apple Podcast, hit that share button and just like post it to your feed. That stuff is more and more powerful. Uh, it's a pendulum swing. It used to be huge, then it got weird for a little bit. Now it's really huge again. So it will mean as much as buying us uh, a coffee or getting a shower curtain with our logo on it. Although if you get a shower curtain with our logo on it and you don't reenact the psycho picture and send it to us, then are we really doing this right? Seriously, are we doing our job? Are you doing yeah, it? That. No, I'm just saying. Well, there you go. That's been episode 124, Adam. 
One, two, four. That's how I count sometimes. <laughs> Thanks, Adam. Thank you, bro.